All right, so I'm really happy to have this chance to uh, join Professor Steve Davidson for a conversation about his work and insights on post-colonial studies in the Bible. Steve Davidson is a professor of Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, the vice president for academic affairs, and dean of the faculty at McCormick Theological Seminary. He's also an important leader in the Society of Biblical Literature, which is the major guild organization for biblical studies in the U.S. For example, he chairs the Writing, Reading, Jeremiah section of the SBL and the Bible and Empire section of the International In addition, he helped select and publish cutting-edge methodological studies in Bible through serving as the general editor of SBL Sumeya Studies. And uh, as a native of Trinidad and Tobago, Professor Davidson has developed a particular interest and expertise in post-colonial studies in the Bible, studying with some of the leading theorists in post-colonial studies at New York's Columbia University while he was studying for his 2005 PhD at Union Theological Seminary, where I had the privilege of serving as his advisor. Andy has shared and unfolded this expertise in post-colonial and Islander Islander studies after graduation through numerous articles uh, publication in 2011 of his dissertation in revised form, Empire and Exile, Postcolonial Readings of the Book of Jeremiah. Um, that was published with TNT Clark. He also developed a co-written introduction and essay for his 2015 co-edited volume on Islands, Islanders and the Bible, Ruminations, with SBL Press. And he also produced in 2017 a succinct, up-to-date, and really helpful overview of post-colonial studies for the Brill Research Perspectives in Biblical Interpretation, which is entitled Writing, Reading the Bible in Post-Colonial Perspective. Currently, he's working on a project tentatively titled Post-Colonial Biblical Criticism, a guide for the perplexed. So, Professor Davidson, or I might slip and call you Steve because of our long association with each other, I'm so glad to have this chance to talk with you. And I'd like to start by having you hopefully share some of the story that brought you to post-colonial studies. As I recall it, this is something that evolved from your initial studies at the University of West Indies through your degrees at Boston University and Union Theological Seminary and beyond. So how did you first encounter post-colonial studies of the Bible and what excited you about it? David, thank you for this opportunity to talk with you. Um, my, my work in post-colonial studies happened really by accident. Um, I, I, I tell the story of trying to complete a thesis while I was at Boston University. And the, my, my thesis advisor kept rejecting all of my ideas. And um, finally, he said, well, you did a course with me on biblical interpretations, and why don't you just think through what it means to read the Bible as someone from the Caribbean? And I reluctantly <laughs> agreed and started thinking of how to write this, this thesis. And in the process of, of doing the research, and I'm, and I'm trying to remember now whether we had gone, I think we had, we, we had computerized databases for 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 the for for, for library in, in the libraries rather than 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 the cards um, just searching I discovered this growing body 
of, of knowledge because this was 1999 um, and we had just gotten some new material out from Fernando Segovia, from uh, Sugitha Haraja and, and a few other persons, not a, not a whole lot. And that's where I started to think this notion of post-colonial studies was, was very exciting and representative of who I am. In part, I would see myself in the and my life as sort of a position within post-colonial realities as someone who was born in a sort of post-independence um, period in my, in my country, where we were still coming to terms with what it meant to be independent and the legacies of British colonialism. There were a number of different traces that were, were, were still around. There were a number of different influences that were still there. And what I started to do was to think about the ways in which as a person growing up in a society like that, um, I'm formed to read the Bible in different ways and to think about the Bible in those sort of, sort of with those post-colonial influences. So that's what brought it together for me uh, in some ways. How can I now bring my life story into this trajectory of academic study and using this, this sort of a critical inquiry of, of post-colonial studies? And, and I've not... I've not well, I shouldn't say I've not stopped since then. I've grown weary at times and I've gotten renewed interest and renewed excitement and just found different ways of moving, moving the work that I've been doing. That's really helpful. Um, when I, t- I want to turn now to sort of have you provide a guide to the perplexed in miniature form uh, to my students and hopefully others on the web. Um, and I'll start by a question about sort of different ways that scholars have brought these discourses into conversation. When I teach post-colonial studies in the Bible, um, I often emphasize that there are different ways to put these things together. And I usually emphasize that some have utilized concepts from post-colonial studies, such as hybridity, mimicry, or contact zone, to illuminate how biblical literature was shaped. In its original uh, formation, um, when Israel and Judah were subject to um, empire under the Neo-Assyrian, Babylonian, and Hellenistic rulers. Um, But in addition, I think it's important for students to realize that biblical scholars have also done post-colonial studies of how the Bible was used after it was formed to reinforce European colonization in later periods up into the present. And I'd be interested to hear if you have a different way of categorizing this. I think you have some additional differentiations to add to that. And uh, that would be great for me and others to hear. Yeah, I, I resonate with those two, with those two moves because, because a starting point is, is conceptualizing the Bible as an imperial product. And, and we could differentiate what imperial means. Um, in, in, you know, whether, because it, it, could, it, it is both something that comes out of imperial times and also at the very same time, something written, I, I, sometimes I say in honor of, 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 of empire, even though not necessarily written by um, imperial agents. So, so there is that. And then, of course, there is this sort of a historical work that we have to do of what, where has the Bible turned up in, in modern um, imperial projects? Um, you know, starting with with European uh, territorial expansion and entrenchment in it, and 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 this is an important 
an important space because the modern imperialism, particularly out of Europe, is largely a liberal project intended to, whether it is civilizing, whether it is evangelizing, you know, whether it's, it's in some ways. So the, 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 there's this, these ideas of uplift, which are just, of course, very, very right smack in the middle of the Bible and how those accompany it. The, the, the third place I add tends to be how, how are the people who have received the Bible reading it? And so looking now in a much more critical way in which biblical reception has occurred in what we could call the post-colony, the people who have now been, who live with legacies of, of, of imperialism. And in some instances, what you will see are just essentially a complicity with the imperial ideas. And sometimes, and this is the more exciting work, is the, is the pushback and the rejection. And then there's a fourth thing that I, that I find also exciting, which is a lot more, which has to do with the more the cultural appropriations of the Bible in those, um, in the, in the midst of current imperial con- con- conditions. So, so that the legacies continue and an empire has taken different forms and in different ways in terms of all of these issues of, of globalization and continued, um, threats to the environment and what it means to live in a world that's dominated by one or two major powers, whether they're political powers or economic powers, and, and just seeing how people are understanding biblical texts and biblical ideas in those contexts um, is, is, is a fourth thing that I do. And of course, for me, it's, it's, it's paying attention to the individuals who are not necessarily thinking about the Bible from a purely confessional space, but as one of many literary products and um, that, that came out of Europe. So before moving on to the next question, what I'm hearing you say, and I want to double check it with you, is in addition to those two modes that I mentioned at the outset of looking at the Bible as sort of an imperial product or formed in this complex interaction with empire and how Europeans mobilize the Bible to reinforce colonization. What I'm hearing from you is looking more at how uh, formerly colonized people or colonized people for that matter have, have developed resistant readings, uh, whether in traditional confessional contexts or outs- completely outside that, looking at the Bible as a cultural product, not just sort of portraying people in, a, in colonized contexts as passive uh, victims of how the Bible has been used by this or that person, but also the way they actively have, have taken up the Bible for in different kinds of ways. Is that a correct reading yeah, of what yeah, you're saying? Right. Yes, certainly. And 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 it, and it's, it's a critique of the Bible itself on its own, but it is also a critique of the Bible as a product of a sort of European product, a Europeanizing product, and it's a critique also of of empire as it exists as it exists today. So, so several, so different, several different things. Um, interestingly, of course, sometimes it is not the Bible on its own. It's the, it's a Bible alongside of a whole number of other elements, um, which, which when we're doing it today, you know, it's that, that obviously is going to be the case because people recognize that, you know, the Bible doesn't have pride of place in every single instance. And so there are other, other factors and, 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 and things that, that will come into play. 
those, 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 I think that's what makes it exciting is trying to tease out what's the Bible? What does it look like? Where is it turning up? Where is it showing up? Who is using it? Who's interpreting? What are people thinking about, about the Bible in these sort of a very, very modern times marked by different configurations of empire? Just to flesh that out just a little bit, what would be some of, can you give an example of what some of those other elements might be that would kind of come in alongside the Bible in this sort of analysis? Yeah, some of it will be other other types of texts, other sacred texts, um, um, or other sacred traditions. Because we'll see this in some parts of 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 Africa, where where there's a sense of look, here here is knowledge, here is spiritual knowledge, here are insights that come from a different source. So those 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 are the other things that we put into into the conversation as well. So so what are the native wisdom? sayings, proverbs, right, practices, um, what are the kinds of native laws, um, uh, ordinances also. Um, so rather than privileging the Bible um, above all of these other things, those, those are some of the pieces that are, that are coming into, into play. So, you know, I'm not sure if this follows too well in that fascinating interplay of different kinds of things. Um, for post-colonial studies, but I'll, I'll go there here anyway, because um, I often introduce post-colonial studies in the Bible when I come to discussion of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, and other books that have been influenced by Deuteronomistic motifs like Joshua, Judges, 1 through 2 Samuel, and 1 through 2 Kings, partly because in this case, I'm focusing more on that originary moment where the Bible is formed in the context of, of ancient Near Eastern Empire. And I know also your work has featured a sustained focus on the Deuteronomistically shaped book of Jeremiah. And so as we look at these texts, um, I wondered if you could talk about particular concepts in post-colonial studies that you think students might find helpful in illuminating these texts and engaging them uh, through a post-colonial lens. Yeah. Yeah, certainly there, there are quite a lot in that <laughs> collection of books. So let me let me get to some of the more important important ones. Um, and I think particularly if you're going with with Deuteronomy, an important thing to pick up would be indigenous communities, native communities, uh, because essentially what it, what it, it, it is narrating is this group's um, ancient Israel's relationship with indigenous communities in the, in the land and how, how do you do it? So it, it does raise these questions um, that indigenous communities have faced uh, across different periods of history in different in different times related to the, the, the appropriation of their land, um, issues around cultural assim- assimilation, um, because in, in order to, to survive, the only way to survive was to become like this, this, other, this other group. Um, I mean, and we, we see some of those issues um, rearing their head, it, its head now in Canada. Um, genocide, of course, is is another that 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 comes up. In another set of concepts to be to be looking at in terms of how do you read Deuteronomy in light of these in in, in light of these histories. And then, and then if I if I go on to to how then. This then works with with other Deuteronomistic literature like Jeremiah. It's it's in some sense a fascination with empire because because Deuteronomy has this um, curse and blessing schema 
and more often than not, the curses are going to be um, produced by some big power, some big earthly power, which we see um, play out in a book like Jeremiah. Here, here you are, you have been disobedient, you have wrong, you've been wronged, you're subject to curse, the empire is going to come down upon you. And so it's this fascination with empire and the configurations of empire as solutions to geopolitical problems. Um, you know, um, so you, you, you start to look at militarism as, 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 as an issue that needs to, needs to come up and the consequences of militarism as a, as a, um, as a foreign policy to solve problems. And then, you know, what, what also gets raised in Jeremiah are uh, issues related to the environment, because, because much of the kind of ways within which the military uh, interventions are, are imagined is the scorched earth policy of just destroying um, large sections of, 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 of land. And how do you um, sustain um, the, 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 um, the, the, the environment? For, for people who are already vulnerable and then become the victims of, of these major forces in the, in the world. There are lots more, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave, leave those there for now. <laughs> now, those are great examples. It's really, really helpful. Um, so I want to turn to talk more generally about methodology in biblical studies, because um, as your work has developed, you've critiqued a myth of objectivity and a problematic historicism in biblical studies more generally, and a problematic historicism in some of the early iterations of post-colonial work on the Bible. And, uh, you know, not the, the folks who are viewing this video may not all have a chance to look at your work on that. Can you provide a brief sort of precy for introductory students on best practices, so to speak, on adding a historical dimension to biblical study without hopefully succumbing to these issues of um, historicism? Yeah, uh, so, so I, I think the first thing to be aware of is the notion that, you know, his, history is, is a method. It's, it's constructed, it, um, and, 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 and it's constructed, it, it falls within the, the limits and the possibilities of the people who have constructed it. So it's not that history is natural, it's obvious that, you know, there is this one single way that we could recover what used to take place. So in in many ways, history allows us to tell stories and it it allows us to to narrate something from a particular perspective. And I'm always taken by William Faulkner's notion about history, that it's, it's never really about the past and more or less about the present. So starting there, I think that's, that, that becomes important. And of course, for, for the post-colonial perspective is then who is telling the story and, and who's, who is the story about? So in some, in some sense, then, that becomes an important set of questions to, to ask because it, it then, then determines where you start, how that arc is going to be developed, and then what gets included or, or excluded in it? Well, the, now the, the challenge that we, we, we find ourselves up against is, is European history has in some ways centered Europe as the major actor, acting upon these other places. And in some ways, as, as some would argue, creating for them history or beginning history for them. So, so for instance, you know, growing up, and you will see this in a number of different museums around the world, for me, 
you know, in, 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 my, in my country, you know, what history begins with, with Columbus and, and everything else is lumped into this thing called pre-Columbian, where things are just murky. There, 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 there are mists that you have to, to walk through. And why they are, they are missed is because the people now who have created the discipline of history have decided, here is where we want to start. And we'll put all of the resources to discover all of the material in order to tell the story of the European present, presence and then just block everything else out. And so there is, there's, there's, there, is, there is nothing else there. Now, of course, that's a big, of course, a big challenge for us in biblical studies in, in general, because how do you start to tell the history of ancient, of ancient Israel? And as you have taught me, this is an important question, because, you know, one of the things you do is to say, no, no, no we can't start at Genesis. No, let's, let's start where we have some, we have some material. Okay, but, but in doing so, we've started to tell a story of, of we've started to tell the story of the nation. Right. If, when we start in, in Judges, what is ancient Israel? What does it look like? What does it look like? What are the early precursors? And that's a particularly important frame out of which to tell the story. But it's, it's one of, of several, which certainly is much stronger and much better than starting at, at, at the murkiness of, of, of Genesis. So, so, so in, in, in terms of how we tell a, a history of ancient Israel, that becomes an important starting point. Now, for me, one of the reasons why I think that makes sense as, is also for us to recognize how the nation state became an important feature of modern Western civilization. And we start to critique the, the, the notion of the, of, the, of the nation state and why it is exercising this, this important power and why it is, it is now being the thing that structures history and how it produces nationalism and how it, it then generates a whole number of other sort of impulses. I think starts to help us make sense because then, then what we, what we, what, 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 what we will eventually see is how biblical stories and biblical narratives play this strong role in these, these ideas of nationalism. I mean, and I think the U.S. is one of those, those very clear-cut cases where, where the U.S.'s self-imagination as a nation can be easily mapped on to certain stories and narratives of the Bible. So, so those become, I think, very important things to, for us to to recognize and to understand how we position how we position ourselves and how we position the, the 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 story and privilege some people and leave others out. And so, part of the post-colonial thing is to critique that, but also to say, no, what are the ways in which we can recenter that story to recenter the the people who have been deprived, or or in some in some ways to to bring back into focus another set of characters in the in, as we tell the biblical stories that's really tantalizing the way you concluded um, your reflections steed and I, I i didn't prep you for this but i'd be interested uh can you be more specific about some of the different ways one might frame uh, the story of Israel uh, for, say, introductory students or for people coming into the Bible? Um, how would one take these questions from critique, which is important, to, you know, an alternate uh, proposal? Yeah, 
I, I, I would think I'm playing with this idea now, and I, and, I, and I don't have much on it because I'm only looking at it from the book of Judges. Um, so one of the things I'm doing in the book of Judges is, is this idea that the book sets out to tell a story of, of, of a struggle to come to fruition. And, you know, we, it, it, it goes through this, these, four, it, these four moments when it, when it laments the fact, well, sometimes I don't know if it's a lament, but it makes the point that there is no king in Israel. Right, and because sometimes you could think it's a lament, um, saying, "Oh, there was no king, therefore we should have a king." Cheekily, sometimes I think it might just well be there was no king. Yeah, glad you know there was no central power. Um, but but so, so you could you could read judges in that in that in that way, and it's a book, you know, it's a biblical book set within a patriarchal culture, largely to 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 support the work of men. But what we have with judges are these women. Right, this book that has this huge number of women, and what I'm trying to do is is to is to show how it is that this idea of a nation, whatever we may want to call it, is now being disturbed by the presence of women, by the actions of women, through the stories of these women. So that the the, the male story is is tending in one direction uh, to create this notion of what a nation looks like. Whereas the, the story of women is taking it in another direction. And so this is one of the things I'm trying to think through a little bit more. What if we centered the story of women in, in framing the, 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 um, the Hebrew Bible? What if, what, 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 and, and in which case we could, we could start with Genesis. But we're starting with Genesis in a very different way. Because as you know from your work with Genesis, the, those exciting stories of the of, of the women, how they how they get downplayed. So I mean, so, so you start with a different set of questions. It's not it's not about creation, right? It's not about whether the so much about 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 creation, and you and you don't privilege the the creation moment. You don't privilege the the so much the the flood story, or even if you you go with those stories, the the characters who are important become quite different. They become, in some ways, marginal characters. I mean, and I know it's a struggle for us to say, wow, can we, can we think through the flood story through the eyes of Noah's wife, whom we don't know, whose name we don't know, who doesn't have a speaking part, who is only mentioned maybe two or three times alongside of Noah, right? I mean, how can we do that? It, it requires, in some sense, a kind of recuperative imagination, to then start to say what it is can we excavate about the people who have been left left out, and I think this is some of the work that people in subaltern studies have been have been trying to do is to say here is a picture that that, that we have, and we know that that picture doesn't feature everybody, and there's some people who are important to make the picture happen. Let's spend some time doing the work <laughs> to figure the, those people out. And what they have done to create this picture. I mean, that's one, one, one possibility. But, it, but, but of course, which, is, which is, goes back to the earlier conversation we were having about historicism. It's that we, we feel as if we are on shaky ground if we don't have data. And this is the thing about historicism. It convinces us that only with data can we make um, a particular set of data, I should say, can we make certain claims um, without without actually saying that the the data in itself might 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 be give us 
a foundation to work on, but, but we're not necessarily just working with the data, we're working with an interpretation of the data itself. So, so those, those, that, that's, that's a move that I, that, I, that I think can be an exciting opportunity for us to, in, in, in some of the, the, the years ahead. Well, it seems like your final comments sort of pulled a lot of different aspects of our conversation together uh, in terms of historicism and also maybe a little bit of the reading the Bible resistantly um, uh, from a post-colonial context and perspective. Um, I, I, before we go to my final question, I just wanted to see for students who want to go a little bit further and get to some introductory resources to learn more about post-colonial studies in the Bible, are there one or two things you you'd point them to? I I you know this 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 is almost 20, 20 years old, but I still like Musa Dube's postcolonial feminist interpretation of the Bible, and and it it does it does a good job of introducing students to what I think she regards as imperializing texts. Um, in, in in some ways, it doesn't have all of the full sort of a historical background that we're talking about. But if you're just thinking about the Bible and it's, and it's, it's imperial quality, she does, she does bring some of that, bring some of that out. Um, the the post-colonial biblical Bible reader by, that Sugi Thaharaja edited, again, it's a, it's a solid one, um, a, good, a good start. Then hopefully the book that I'm working on should be <laughs> the other resource that I would that I would say it and 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 what 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 I'm trying to do in that book um, is also do some of the, the sort of a historical stuff in terms of formation of, of biblical texts and do some interpretive work as well. So that um, I have an email to send to the publisher um, saying here is the new deadline. Because they've been, they're, they're, they're eager to get it done, and I am eager to get it done. But yeah, <laughs> yes, and I think we'll be eager to see it, um, and as you will be, I'm sure. Um, so my last question: so much of our conversation so far is related to your particular expertise on postcolonial studies in the Bible, but I'm speaking to you also as somebody who now has years of experience teaching students at McCormick Theological Seminary and before that Pacific Lutheran. Theological Seminary and also at Union, um, including mentoring students of color and those and others whose voices and forms of knowledge have often been marginalized in much academic biblical interpretation. So I wanted, at, before we close, to give you a chance to say a final word or words of advice that you would give based on that experience for these students as they embark on this um, endeavor. Uh, or more generally, advice for all students beginning their academic study of the Bible. Oh, I, in, you know the 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 thing that I have come to discover and keep discovering about about myself in this in this work is is self identity is 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 important. Understanding and um, yourself and affirming yourself. Um, you know, the, the imposter syndrome is very real and it doesn't go away, doesn't disappear very, very easily. Um, and, and, and I, and I, I start there because one of the, 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 the things that is so easy to, to slip into, and, and some of it, some of it is necessary. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's all terrible is, is you're being formed in a particular way 
and it's just surrendering to the processes of formation that you become made in someone else's image um, and, and you're not aware of who you are. And so, so a lot of graduate work tends to be that way. Some of it for good reason, but when, when, the, when it's layered on very heavily, what happens is you end up losing yourself, losing your voice, um, and, and losing the, 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 the ideas. And it takes a while to, <laughs> to then find, find yourself. Um, I, I can say from my, in, in my own experience that I came in with a clear and strong voice, because I think this was for me what my education was like. <laughs> right? and, 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 and then so that, so that recovery is, 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 is also ongoing. But it's important for people, I think, entering to, to al- already start to put their hands around that and to have those, 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 those conversations. Because part of the, part of the, the, the thing of claiming your voice is, 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 is understanding what your project is and saying, no, my project is unique. I mean, and that's the only way you make it in, in graduate studies. You have to have something that distinguishes you. Um, from 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 every every everyone else, but also what I found very important is is to be able to have a project that not only distinguishes you but then pushes the the field a little bit or pushes it a lot i mean so let 's be ambitious here <laughs> rather <laughs> rather than 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 just saying oh, let me just notch it notch it somewhat because again it you know it's not it's not going to be that 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 interesting and then i i would say claim the claim a, a broad and expansive freedom of expression exactly what it means to write in in the in the in the years ahead is is something i think that is going to be is up for negotiation now in in the work that i do with with samaya studies i i keep asking authors um do we really want to write in a way where we're just writing to a specialist group, which, which each successive year is, is a diminishing group? Or do we want to start to begin to start to write for broader audiences? And I think there are, there are audiences who are eager for the work that we are doing. But we just, just need to figure it out, <laughs> how, to, how to write to that audience, rather than thinking, Oh, the field is this, um, and and for me, this is a, this is a sort of a post-pandemic <laughs> realization that that a lot of things that I thought were important to write two years ago, I keep asking myself, who wants to read this now? Why why should this be published? <laughs> what difference is it going to make? And and I, that's what I would encourage you know up and coming scholars to start to think about and and look for those those varied ways of expression. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's an interesting particular answer, because, and I think it reflects the fact that you have come to a point in your career where you're not just mentoring um, people who are going to be pastors or teachers in churches, but you're actually mentoring up-and-coming scholars, as you put it, um, yep. of color, um, and helping them find and claim their voice and perspective and push the field forward and that kind of thing. If I could just take the question back a step, though, because you, we've taught alongside each other. It's been a while, but we've taught alongside yeah. each other in room 207 at Union. Um, so you have a picture of those students. So they've changed a little bit uh, since you've been at Union. And, and of course, you have your students at McCormick. 
thinking about students who are not necessarily up and coming scholars, but actually first term masters of divinity or master of arts students who in some cases are a little bit concerned about the extent to which the forms of knowledge they're being introduced to in intro are compatible with the forms of faith that brought them to school in the first place. Also trying to understand how they're going to link this to their work, which might be a form of activism or social work or chaplaincy or, you know, pastoral ministry. You, you know the, these students yeah. well. Yeah. Is there something more you might say to this this group of students, whether more specifically students of color, because we, we at Union get a number of students, particularly out of the Black church tradition, or more generally. Yeah, so and 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 this this is one of those those places where when I when I do an introductory course, the students are like, what is he saying? Who is he? Where does he come from? Does does he believe in God? You know, you know so a whole number of different different things like those. Those 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 come out. But but the I, I think this is this is representative of the the successful work of the kind of imperial evangelizing work that has happened in Christianity for, for, for centuries, where there is a conflation between the book itself and, and God, so that they are, they are inseparable for a number of people. For a number of people, you start to get it. it then it's, 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 it's a reduction of the, of the, of, of the God that they, that they, that they knew. And, and, and so one of the things I, I try to help people to, to understand is you have now to expand your theological imagination beyond the book. Because the, and, and, and that's where the struggle is. The struggle is to go beyond the book and, and to see of the kinds of liberating God that didn't fully get depicted and captured in the in the book in the book itself because we were hearing the stories from certain eyes and um it's a mixed metaphor there <laughs> we were here you know we were getting it from 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 certain places and 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 then you have to ask yourself given the passion that you have for for a, a much more egalitarian world um what does what does a liberating god look like um, and, and, and feel like given your own self-identity of wanting to be affirmed, you know, so, so, so in, in, in letting go some, some of the previously held knowledges around the biblical text, it's not necessary to, in, in some ways to, to surrender the text into nothingness as if it doesn't exist and it, it's no longer meaningful. It's that you are, you are now facing in some ways, it's natural limits, um, but but those 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 aren't closed doors. Those are openings to say, "Come on, here is the work you are doing in your time. Here is where you are called to." And and so it it, it does require some some uh, sort of a renegotiation with with the with the biblical text. So one of the things I've been doing in the last few years when I teach an introductory course, I say to students, "Take a minute or two, answer this question for me: What is the Bible?" Write it down. I want you to write it down. <laughs> and we talk about that a bit. And then we come back at the last day of the semester on the question. And we're looking at issues of biblical authority and all of these other things. Okay, write your answers to the question again and compare them. 
and try to see what the what the what the what the growth is because because after I've done all of that, I do come back around to well, what good is the Bible? What do we do with it? How do we continue to use it? Um, and of course, they were like, well, you, you completely confused us because we thought you were telling us to throw it away. And now you're saying, <laughs> here's, where, here's, here's where, where it could be useful. But it's an important journey to, to undertake, knowing, like I, like I said, that what, what they will perceive as obstacles and closed doors are really invitations to, to, to being imaginative, and and experiencing current divine revelation, which is which is an important an, an important thing, and and an insight I think I learned from some of my Pentecostal colleagues who 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 are who are the ones who are in much more progressive spaces are saying no Pentecostals we know that it's not just what's written there, but God is going to do something now, so be open to that. <laughs> Wow, that's a great note to end on, I think. And I just want to thank you again for bringing your voice and expertise uh, to this conversation and to students in my classrooms and hopefully others as well. Um, it's so exciting to watch as you, um, you know, have really become a uh, force to be reckoned with uh, in a good way in uh, biblical studies. So anyway, thank you again, Steve, for this time. And I look forward to uh, being in conversation down the road. Thank you.